today, can I go, can I, can, yeah. I, can I speak? Can I speak? Speak. This is after what you did here, which is Carrie say go, and then say, I just stop, I didn't push any buttons. <laughs> I'm Dean. I'm Emma. I'm Carrie. Carrie is going to tell us a very... True story. A very true story, but one that is a little bit twisted. And for our more sensitive listeners, let <laughs> let me stop myself right there. We don't have, <laughs> have sensitive any sensitive listeners. listeners. So if you're listening, I'm sure it's cool. Carrie, take it away with the story of George Hodel or Hodel. I'm not really Let's sure. Let's go with Hodel. I think it's Hodel. Um, well, I have heard it on a in this in this house. It it's wrong. Hodel. <laughs> no, in this house, I've only heard it as Hodel. Anyhow, George will heretofore be known as heretofore George. That's my favorite Hodel. saying ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really good word. It should have lasted past the 16th century. Here to a four. <laughs> With methinks. <laughs> methinks. Henceforth. Uh, George Hill Hodel Jr. was born on October 10th, 1907. Long, long time ago. So he's probably dead, right? Yes. Damn it. He was raised in Los Angeles. His parents were George Sr. and Esther. He was their only son. He was very well educated and supposedly super duper intelligent. Like, was he their only child or their only son? Did he use words like super duper? Because if <laughs> probably so, not. He wasn't. <laughs> I didn't read anything about him having a sister, but I did read specifically that he was their only son. Okay, so got it. Not super important. Did they dress him like a girl? No. <laughs> so. He supposedly scored 186 on an early IQ test. Which he was three. Doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It's also in 19, you know, the 1900s. Yeah. So. He, he, he put a like, round shape and a round peg. I feel like, I feel like the <laughs> bar was a lot lower. Not that impressed, George. <laughs> he was also a music prodigy. He apparently played solo piano concerts at the Shrine Auditorium. Damn. I've heard LA. that. And uh, composer Sergei Rachmaninoff, who we've all heard of, actually, I have not heard of him. Well, Rachmaninoff's most, some of his most famous music is the music from um, Star Wars. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) even let him say the letter S before he says Star Wars. It was a joke. I know who composed Star Wars. And then didn't he compose the music that was like in every wedding ceremony in the nineties? No, that would be. um, I mean, here comes the bride. I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know composers. I know Hans. I believe that was. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was. Schubert. Pretty sure it was John Williams. Yeah. Pretty sure it was Rachmaninoff. It was Danny Elfman. (laughs) I'll have to ask my mother. Oh, wow. Well, she picked our wedding music. Oh, all right. Rachmaninoff traveled to the Hodel house to actually hear him play. Mm-hmm. And uh, he attended South Pasadena High School and graduated when he was 15. And then he went to Caltech, which is, you know, a prestigious university. It is home of the Fighting Techies. Good athletic program. (laughs) (laughs) He probably wasn't there for um, an athletic Chess, mathletics. Yes. However, he was um, kicked out after a year. Possibly because of a sex scandal involving a professor's wife. Whoa. Which is a little bit icky because he would have been like 16. 16. Yeah. I didn't research this too in depth, but clearly he then went to some other university and graduated and went to medical school because he came and became a doctor. Around uh, 1928, he was in a common law marriage to a woman named Amelia, and they had a son named Duncan. They never got married, but then in the 30s, he legally married a model from San Francisco named Dorothy Anthony, and they had a daughter named Tamar. Tamar. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. (gasps) Backwards? Marat. Mm. Wait, no, it's not. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's an anagram. Shut up. Maybe they're big fans of the French Revolution is what I was thinking, but maybe not. Backwards would be Ramat. As I said. No, it isn't. I said Ramat. You said Later, Marat. I changed it. <laughs> okay. He established a successful uh, medical practice, and he was it, moving in affluent L.A. society by the 1940s. He really liked surrealism, 
Who doesn't? Me. What? Melting clocks? Yeah, not not a Big huge fan. fan. I... I know you are because you're weird. No. You like Salvador Dali? I like Rene Marguerite. Um, well, he liked the dark aspects of it and the decadence that surrounded the surrealist art scene, supposedly. The decadence. <laughs> and he was friends with such artists as photographer Man Ray. Wow. And Wow. Film. That means so much to me. He was a famous photographer. His name is Man Ray. <laughs> yeah. My, my knowledge has been exhausted. <laughs> well, my knowledge of Man Ray is from... The Simpsons? No... The movie Black Dahlia. Oh, you carry. I think you think of manta rays. And That's a, they're like a fish. They're not. No. They killed Steve Irwin. They did. They did. <laughs> is that what you're there you think? There you go. Irwin? I think. I yeah, think this is the wrong podcast. <laughs> anyway, and also film director John Huston mm. was apparently another buddy of his. They shared an interest in sadomasochism. Of I, I don't know about John Huston, but uh, the, someone did because it says shared. No, I, <coughs> this is just my next bullet point. What's sadomasochism? Man Ray was well. into that scene okay. and Marquis um, de Sade and other doing bad things to people for sex for, reasons. Yes, S and M. Oh my god, sales and marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, cool. That's gross. Uh, well, well but usually if, it, if okay, everybody's so, consenting, it's fine. But. So is masochism when you like plain pain like? Yes. Inflicted on yourself. So right. sadomasochism is to other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the implication is yes. Sadism is getting pleasure from inflicting pain on other people. I see. And so then, sadomasochism is kind of the... The give and they take. Yes. The mix of the two. Preferably the masochism part is the person that the sadist is inflicting it upon wants it. I think we've turned this podcast <laughs> into an <laughs> S&M This is a... This is a <laughs> and that's literally all I know about it. <laughs> definition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure it is. A wink. A wink. <laughs> good one, Carrie. <laughs> anyway. Good way playing it cool, Mom. Yeah, I know that was smart. Yes. He also shared a fondness for partying inebriation mm. which means getting drunk <laughs> you can't throw in with s&m like partying and i feel like drunk. you really <laughs> oh and get this one i feel like you didn't work up to the yeah you did <laughs> he really you... likes s&m and he also liked drugs so <laughs> occasionally vacations and long walks on the beach <laughs> but also s&m and skirt chasing skirt What's chasing that? that's a 1940s term for like the ladies yep oh he liked them bitches yes. so you like to chase the skirts huh all right so that was part Bud. of the Hollywood scene, I guess. Eh, it was uh, elsewhere too. I feel like that was just life. Yeah. It was harassing women. Well, that was part this of like He what, was in 30s, the Hollywood 40s, scene. For him. What is it? 30s. Okay. Starting mm. in the 30s and the 40s, actually, because he was more established and affluent by the, the 40s. I'm putting S&M and booze. <laughs> Don't forget skirt chasing. And skirt chasing. In 1940, he married his second legal wife, so I'm assuming he got divorced from the first one, yeah, but that's, that's, yeah. don't know for sure. This wife was John Houston's ex-wife. Mm, messy. Her name yeah. is Dorothy, but she changed it to Doreros. Why? I don't know. Do to seem exotic. I guess. Probably. In, uh, it was hard to say. It's exotic. Yeah. In 1945, he purchased the Soudan House, Soden House, S-O-W-D-E-N, in oh, Hollywood. Yeah. Sure. The Hollywood Soudan House. Yeah. It is a famous... Is that over there? It on, is a famous house. On La Brea? On, on, on Franklin. On Franklin. <laughs> yeah, so you, you wait for her to say it. You act like you're going to say it, and you wait for her to say it. It's oh, like, oh. It's okay. like cold rating. Is La Brea the only street you know in... Very, oh, no, yeah, you, yeah you say, is that the one on, like, you're selling tip Is that the one on... She says that? Franklin, you say, okay. You say, oh, okay. Yeah, we're on the same page. Well, it was built in 1926 by Lloyd Wright, who was the son of Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, just he his he just lost the first name out of the deal. Uh -huh. Doesn't seem fair. It's boring. Yeah, and it's now a registered historic landmark in Los Angeles. Why? It's what weird. happened there? It looks like a Mayan temple. Or it something. does look very strange. Oh, you guys have seen this? Mm -hmm. And it has all kinds of weird rooms and. A huge interior like, courtyard. Yeah. Are we going to find out what happened there to make oh, it a yes. historic landmark? Yes, we or are you just well, giving me a tidbit of historic information? Historic landmark for architectural yes. reasons. Oh, okay. But some shit went on there some that shit we went get into. Yeah. Wild parties and 
Skirt chasing. S&M. S&M. Skirt chasing booze. <laughs> Lots of alcohol. And it was a large house. And so for at least part of the time that he lived there, this is in the late 40s, it was basically a, a like a polygamist household. Mm. He was living there with Dureros. Dureros. And their three children, which included Stephen, who we'll find out about later. And Moon Unit. And Zappa. And, and then his first legal wife, Dorothy, who was the mother of Tamar. So Tamar was there too. So he married two women named Dorothy mm-hmm. and yes. the second one just changed. That Maybe that's why. Maybe that is why. The first one changed her name to Tinachilon. So <laughs> it ran. And um, off and on, his original common law wife, Amelia, lived there. Their son, Duncan, I think was grown up by then. She so had he changed her name there. to Tijuanaco. <laughs> And then he would also bring a series of temporary lovers there. Mm. I um, like his style. I, I like the cut of his jib. Mm-hmm. Once again, if everyone's consenting, sure. it's okay. Sure. Sure. And you're not legally married to more than one, you know, you're, you're yeah. fine in my book. Darrell's just like, that. that's cool. No, man. I don't care. Less pressure on me. <laughs> exactly. We're well, not sure. He could have been legally married to both Dorothy's. He, it was, uh, witnesses later suggested that one of these temporary lovers, was Elizabeth Short. <gasps> Uh-oh. Oh. Who we know is the Black the Dahlia. Dahlia. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to a little bit more about her in a minute. But It's actually a really obscure case. You guys probably don't know anything about it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. but We're just going gonna to educate you real quick. Well, George Hodel was first suspected of murdering his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, who died of a drug overdose in 1945. Hmm. Um, his supposed motive for this murder would be to cover up financial fraud. He had been billing patients for tests that were never performed and also to protect his various valuable secrets about police and politicians who were possibly clients of his illegal abortion services. Tests test that were never performed, that's that's called the healthcare system now. Okay, <laughs> oh, topical. Okay, uh-huh. shots. Social ha- commentary. They've been fired. Yeah. And, and then some Pauls, do, do we know the names? Some, some prominent people? No. Damn it. Nope. Mayor. Around this time, also, apparently he went to China. For a little while. Just just for fun. Mm. You know what that means. He well, was hiding. They, supposedly he had worked with the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, whatever that is. Yeah, was, what does that even mean? What are they rehabilitating? Things. <laughs> Only me. I don't know. Uh, so that was 1945-ish. In 1947. So the war was over. So he didn't go to war. He oh, didn't. No. He was not a soldier. Oh, was he no. too old? He was born Yeah. He was born in 1907. So he was, yeah. So he was too old to go yeah. to war. Well, Did he go to World War One, or was he too feet. young? He had flat feet. He would have been too young. For too young. Wow. Yeah. So he was really like the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he was also, you know, married and had children and was a doctor and stuff like that. So he that could have nothing. Gone. He could have gone voluntarily. Yes. yes. Mm, he could have. But I'm sure they so. would have welcomed him to mm-hmm. be a. I think a he doctor. had bone spurs. Probably. I think it was bone spurs. Probably had glaucoma. <laughs> Not likely. <laughs> so in 1947, it January hurts. to be exact, uh, a lady just minding her own business, taking a nice walk down a Los Angeles street, comes across the body dun, of dun. dead woman, 22-year-old dun. Elizabeth Short. She was found in an empty lot in the Limert Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. It was a gruesome scene. Quite gruesome. Yes. She was mutilated. Her body was actually cut in half at the waist. Oh, my God. And she had all kinds of defensive wounds and, and cuts and stuff on her arms and her legs. And Jesus. And uh, one of the worst things was the, what's it called, a Glasgow smile. Oh, cut from ear to ear. Yeah. 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 You act like you don't know this. I don't know about yeah. that part. So they what they cut her cheeks from ear to ear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They cut yeah. they cut yeah, the corners of her mouths. Yeah. To I didn't know that. make it look like she had a big yes. old joker smile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So obviously this was a huge case for the LAPD. It had major publicity and it was actually one of the largest investigations ever in the history of the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, police interviewed hundreds of suspects and focused on about 25, one of whom was George Hodel. So they actually did uh-huh. think of him. Yeah. Yep. And one of the reasons why they focused on George Hodel is because his teenage daughter, Tamar, accused him of incestuous sexual abuse. Oh. I did not know that. Uh Uh-huh. This was actually after the uh, murder of the Black Dahlia. But they obviously were still investigating it. It hadn't been solved. And so they were focusing on anybody who was like a sexual... um, Deviant. mm -hmm. Well, suspected sex criminals. And, um, And he wasn't too... Right, he didn't... He lived not super far away. He lived like two blocks, I think, up the street from... Where the body was found. Yeah. So, yeah. No, so yes, then. Yes. It was very close. Mm-hmm. Very close. And he was a known sexual deviant even before that. I mean, right? They had some sexy parties with S&M and stuff like that. And, I th- and, and again, they would have known this in the police force because they knew some of the, yes. mean, some of the folks involved. The, the police were connected. To, some of the police were yeah. connected to him. Yep. And, and when Tamar accused her father of incestual sex abuse. She also claimed to somebody, at least, that her father had killed Elizabeth Short. And also because he was a doctor, that made him kind of suspicious, too, because they believed that whoever had killed her and, you know, what he did to her body, what her killer did to her body... Um, took some sort of surgical skill. Yeah, they, they yeah. always say that. They say that about the Jack Ripper case. I'm hugely skeptical about how much surgical skill it takes to, you know, like remove organs and shit like that. I mean, I you, wouldn't know how to do it. You can, if you open somebody up to the graphic and you see a liver, you can you can cut the stuff that connects the liver. To, I mean, but it's I not think hard. I think well. You say that, but <laughs> you're not. I'm not you know. It's not yeah. horrific and I've gruesome, never done but it, it's so not. I don't it, know. It, it I think can't be that there's hard. Pr- the, probably just the di- not that it's difficult, but the difference is someone who were to have surgical or medical know-how wouldn't be so haphazard about it. Like if I were to just cut up a body, it would be gashed and slashed, and it'd be I, messy. I, I, you don't know that. You know, I, mean, I don't. I don't know. I feel like yeah. the precision of it is what make people. I don't is know what that made it was them all think. that precise. I you know if. If I had the guts to do it, I could probably do it pretty precisely. Yeah. I think I think it's it, they grossly overstate the necessary mm-hmm. medical skills in a lot of those cases. Although, Again, Jack yes. Ripper being the classic. I mean, he, well, yeah, you've seen the, the last victim, Jack the Ripper. He just carved her. Had yeah. zero medical. Jack skills the whatsoever. Ripper was most likely not a yeah. doctor. Well, I'm going to take my previous comment back you because. Are? Yeah, about remember, being against SNM or or not knowing much about SNM. Yeah, okay. Remember <laughs> time when, to come clean. Karen. No, that I could probably precisely. Cut I couldn't because remember me and Jack trying to just get crab meat out of a goddamn crab. Yeah, but that's a crab with a hard shell. I can barely cut a piece of cardboard straight. Like I, I don't know. And, and like even doing a Thanksgiving turkey or a whole chicken. That's just cutting. You're kind of a wuss about cutting flesh without the pro. You know. And also, some the tools that would have been used, like with just a regular person on the street killing somebody, is probably garden shears or just some some regular knife. Sharp. He's a doctor. Maybe, yeah. Tools I mean, exist. but even a murderer who's not a doctor could yeah. get a sharp knife or a scalpel. Or something yeah. Like that. Yes, that's true. Although I don't know how you get through a spine. That's that's not easy. A hacksaw. It takes a saw. Yeah. Yeesh. But it takes again, a saw. Not doctors have saws. Yes, and well, and also there was no blood. Where she was found, yeah. so they believe that her body was drained of blood beforehand, which doesn't necessarily have to be medical. Zero medical skill. Yeah. You do it in a bathtub. Yeah, vampires do it all the time, and they're not doctors. How they looked into the vamp to vampires? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Should. Well, I think they're huh. definitely missing a big chunk. It's a revolutionary of theory. Thank you. Black Dahlia was killed by a vampire. Reopen the case. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently George Hodel was not in. Um, China for very long, and there were, were at least eight witnesses who claimed that they had firsthand knowledge of a relationship between Elizabeth Short and George Hodel hmm. around 1946. Hmm. 
so that would have been obviously before she was killed in 1947. Well, so Probably at one of those raucous yeah. Soden house. She parties. was a wannabe actress, and so you did go to places where the John Houstons of the world were partying. Yes, mm-hmm. and you did what? If you could, and you, you had to and do. You made yourself available. Let's just yes. say that. Yes, and and she was also. I don't know what the term would be, down on your luck kind of girl. She didn't have a permanent address. She kind of just, you know, floated, you know, from here to there. Couch surfed, Mm -hmm. basically. (laughs) Pretty much. 1940s couch surf. Yeah. Stayed with people until they... Kicked her out. Um, yeah. This is not. This is right after the war. So L.A. was booming. The housing was was scarce anyway. So. Yeah, scarce no because money. there were so many people living. People coming there? back from the war. Oh, the jobs okay. were mm-hmm. exploding in mm-hmm. the new you know aerospace industry, things like that. And so it was a boom town. Yeah, I love that era of history. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> she did no. Elizabeth no, Smart did not. Short. Short. So Elizabeth Smart. Who's that? The girl who got abducted, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> Very, different. <laughs> Very different cases. Well, in, in 2004, uh, a file, a George Hodel slash Black Dahlia file, was discovered in the vault at the L.A. District Attorney's Office. And this file revealed that in 1950, Hodel was the prime suspect mm. in the murder. In 1950. In How many years was this case open before it was like, oh, we don't know who it is. We're just going to close it. Many, many, many. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, many, many, many. <laughs> it's a huge case. Yes. Uh, George Hodel's house was actually electronically bugged by an 18-man uh, district attorney Jesus. LAPD task force. All trying to listen to the thing at the same time. It really was crowded. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. Yeah. No, kind of overkill. From February... 15th to March 17th, 1950. Wow. And so the transcripts of these conversations that um, they recorded referred to his illegal abortions and paying off law enforcement officials and to his possible involvement in in the deaths of his secretary and Elizabeth Short. Goodness. Why didn't they arrest him? Yeah. They have a tape. Of him saying, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it wow. now. He was before OJ. Yeah. If yeah. I did it. Listen, if I did it, here's how I'd <laughs> yeah, do it. That's what I would have done. So I'd it proves have. I didn't do it. Uh, I'm a doctor and I uh, would probably dump her in a lawn. <laughs> they can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. Damn right she is. Jesus. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. Damn. What year was the secretary killed again? Hold on. Let me check my notes. 19, I don't know. 1945. Yes. Damn, I'm good. Damn. <laughs> Damn, I write down stuff. <laughs> Shit, yeah. In 1949, George Hodel's name was mentioned in a formal written report to the grand jury as one of the five prime suspects in Elizabeth Short's murder. But none of these five suspects were submitted for indictment because the investigation was still ongoing. I don't know why they do these reports, but if they're not going for an It's like a progress report. Here's what we're looking at. See you next year. Yeah, must be. I don't know. By April of 1950, supposedly, a Lieutenant Jemison of the LAPD had gathered enough evidence to charge him and was going to do so when Hodel fled the United States. Mm. Or the mm. Philippines. That was 1950. The Philippines. Mm-hmm. Goes to the Philippines. Wow. I would say, yes, he was a pedophile. <laughs> Probably. Well, any adult white man who goes to an Asian... By themselves Asian to Southeast country. Asia is a pedophile, is on the dark web. Yes. Well, he got married again. To a Filipino woman? To a Filipino, an upper class Filipino How old woman. was she? <laughs> named Hortensia. Hortensia. I like the name. That's a nice Can name. Can change your name to that, Carrie? No. <laughs> They had another four children. Mm. I think altogether he had like nine children or something. Jesus, like that. men are mm. terrible. Yep. Um, this marriage didn't last long. They divorced in the 1960s. It lasted long enough to have four kids. Uh huh. And you can have like two a year. Yeah. Hort- I'm joking. I'm Hortensia joking. <laughs> later became a member of the Philippine Congress. Damn. Shit, Hortensia. Yeah. Then her name was Hortensia Stark. In case anybody knows anything about the Philippine Congress. She was Iron Man's mom? <laughs> Iron Man's half Filipino? I know. Oh my God, I did not know that. <laughs> it's Stark with an E at the end. Don't ruin that it for us, Sherry. I'm just clarifying for you, Dean. Oh, damn it. 
Now we're going to talk about his granddaughter. George Hodel's? George Hodel's granddaughter. And this is connected to the television series, I Am the Night. And the granddaughter's name is Fauna Hodel. She's a major character in that TV show. That is the Chris Pine vehicle mm-hmm. on TBS? I think TNT, so. TNT, is she? Is, is, and I think it's on the Nashville network. So is that the young girl? Yes. Okay. She's a teenager. Also, another little tidbit. Go on. The series American Horror Story. Yes. The first season had a character who was clearly based off George Hodel. Oh. And the Black mm-hmm. Dahlia was a tiny little storyline in like one episode. Yeah. Where he and his wife, so they stretched the truth a lot, had illegal abortion services. Yeah. And Black Dahlia was a client. Yeah. And he mm. killed her. Killed her. It's not impossible that, that yeah. that's yeah. what happened. Because yeah. she, you know, his he was a dentist though. Not a doctor. Oh. He was a dentist, so women would come for dental work, mm. yeah. which was abortions. And then they'd say, well, I you know, have no money to pay you. And then he'd drug them and rape them and kill them. Ew, uh, nice. Yuck. Thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice tidbit. Season one, American Horror Story, Murder House. Yeah, we didn't watch that. No. We didn't like Not that. your guys' no, cup no. of tea. We started like the first episode yeah. and stopped mm-hmm. watching it. But so anyway, if, you know, there will probably be some spoilers. Obviously, we haven't. I, no, this isn't obvious. We haven't watched the series. <laughs> well, that's obvious. But, you know. We've started it, so you're going to spoil it for me, aren't you? Yes. Damn you. You can plug your ears if I'm you like. I'm going to. I might If you hear la, 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 that's me. So, in 1951, uh, George Hodel's daughter, Tamar, or Tamar, <laughs> got pregnant. Mm. And, as we know, she had previously uh, accused her father of... Incest. Incest, Incest, like molestation or sex? Sex. (laughs) She was accused by her mother of being a pathological liar. And this tactic was successful in getting the charges dropped Mm. against her father. So he was charged and it did, I guess, begin to go to trial, but... Her mother successfully dragged her name through the mud. So great mom. At yeah. some point after that, it's called parenting. Mm-hmm. Daughter arrows. She ended up in juvenile hall because she was a pathological liar. Well, that's a weird. Crime. Apparently, it is if you're sixteen. What the fuck? How is or fifteen or no? She was fourteen. It's absolutely wow. ridiculous. Uh-huh. So Trump would be in Leavenworth for like twenty five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the forties. Actually, that's not. Let's please never go back. Yes. <laughs> So uh, she gets out of. Me too. Back then meant I want to blow my boss as well. <laughs> got, I'm that was that. terrible. That was an awful joke. Yeah. She got out of juvenile hall and got pregnant when she was 16. As you do. Had a baby in San Francisco. What year? 1951. And Tamar's mother met a black woman in a casino bathroom in Nevada Reno area. Yes. And offered her a $50 tip if she would agree to take her daughter's biracial baby once it was born. Oh, so she got pregnant by a black man. Yes. You did not say that. No, I didn't. She's working to it. (laughs) And uh, a $50 tip. Will you raise a a child that my daughter that I don't want because she's like you? Uh huh. Hold on. 18 to 15. And this woman in the bathroom. basically said she would have agreed to anything, you know, just nodding politely to the nice white woman who's offering her a $50 tip. Well, uh, the woman comes back once the baby's born and says, here you go. You promised you would take her. Did she take the 50 bucks? Yeah. Okay, then. You have to, legally. Well, and uh, I think her name was Jimmy. Jimmy or Jimmy? Jimmy. And she... Uh, All she had to do was move. Take the 50 bucks. I know. <laughs> yeah. Move on. Well, I think she didn't believe the woman would ever show back up with a baby. But um, her husband... So their last name was Green Wade. And so she was a maid and her husband was a shine man. And from what I gather, he was on board. He wanted the baby. And... When uh, Jimmy saw the baby, she said, you know, if that baby's biracial, 
I'm Chinese because the baby looked was very light skinned. Hint. Hey, he was not Chinese. You can have biracial children that look Caucasian. People don't understand how biracial children she look. Wasn't buying it. Well, and also they said biracial babies are usually baby born quite light and darken up. Yes. So well, how how was it like weeks old, months old, days old, an probably hour and days a half old. old? Probably yeah, days old. All fucking newborns look like rats. So who cares? <laughs> they look like little, little wrinkled men, actually. <laughs> um, but so anyway, they took her, and the grandmother gave her a birth certificate with her. When so this was Fauna. The baby this was, was Fauna. Fauna. So her name was Fauna Hodel on the birth certificate. Wow. The mother was listed as Tamar Hodel, 16 years old, it's a tough white. Start. Fauna Hodel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The father was listed as information withheld Negro. Awful. Mm-hmm. It's 1951. So that's terrible. Yes, they never legally adopted her or legally changed her name, and but they called her Patricia Ann Greenwade. So they actually took the baby. Yes, they took Patty the baby. Patty Ann. Yeah. She. Um, fifty bucks. She her skin never really did darken. She stayed very light skinned I was gonna say the actress who's supposed to be portraying her is a white woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's not mixed, and she has lightish eyes. And um, so they called her White Patty. Oh, <laughs> White Patty. So she obviously Good felt cool rap name. <sighs> well, she no. felt like she never really fit in with her black family. Yeah, because she was so light skinned. She and liked then, golf and mayonnaise. She had. She never had a chance. But and then she of course, are there, are there pictures of her anywhere? Like, yeah. does she have black features? Does she look like she could be mixed? No. no. Hmm. She's basically Natalie Portman as a girl. <laughs> so she kind of looks like me. <laughs> okay. So she's not as light skinned as you, but so the white <laughs> people around town. She was. Uh, raised around uh, Sparks, Nevada. Sparks, Nevada. Which is just outside of Reno. Marshall on Mars. Sorry. So they, uh, so the white kids and white people in town didn't accept her either because they thought she was mixed biracial. The classic, she doesn't belong anywhere. I That's know, so in, sad. Yep, exactly. Well, how true. many, many biracial people feel in America? Mm-hmm. Yep. Too white for the black people, totally. too black for the white people. Mm-hmm. I, I testify. So she knew from a. I can attest to that. She knew from a fairly young age. Why? I was a white guy, but I was really good at basketball. <laughs> no. True. <laughs> so I just didn't fit in. <laughs> I know. Were you sad when they called you white coach? Yes, yes I was. <laughs> Why can't I just be coach? <laughs> no, I didn't want to be coach. They were calling me because it's old. Oh. It's terrible. It's really ageist. Hurtful. It is. Well, wasn't there a black, an older black man yes, that played too? Was. So he was just coach. And yeah, but he was a real coach. coach. It's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she knew when, from a young age that she was adopted because her parent, you know, because her parents were open with her, and her mom even showed her her birth certificate that said that her Negro father had no name, <laughs> and her mom always told her to tell people that she was her babysitter instead of her mom. Aw. Because... Her white mom? No, her black mom. Her black mom. Because she was afraid that she would be taken away. You know, people Mm. would accuse her of kidnapping and stuff like that because it was never legal. They Mm -hmm. never legally adopted her. The mom was also an alcoholic, and when she uh, was drinking, she was pretty abusive. Um, So when uh, Fauna was 12... She decided she wanted to research her real family. And, you know, she knew that she had this birth certificate. Oh, Lord. Yeah. She knew she had this birth certificate. She didn't. That's when she wanted to start doing it. But uh, when she was a few years older, she was working at a hospital, St. Mary's Hospital in Reno. And when she was working there, she told a nun about the specifics of her birth and that she was adopted and, you know, she was born in this hospital in San Francisco and she wanted to find out more about her birth parents. Well, this wonderful nun went from Reno to San Francisco. She went to the hospital where um, Fauna was born. What year is this? Uh, I'm not sure. Probably the 60s. Yeah, she was on an acid run. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had to go get some acid. Nun. Okay, you know what? While I'm there in the height, I'll, I'll check into it. I'll, I'll see what I can do. So anyway, 
the nun went to the hospital in San Francisco and searched through the records. And in the records, she found out that Fauna's grandfather was a doctor by the name of George Hodel. Mm. And uh, he was living in Asia at the time, Philippines, I'm assuming. And Fauna got a phone number for him and contacted him. And so, you know, she was talking to him. She, she wanted to know about her mother. You know, he obviously told her that he didn't know who her father was, but that he was a black man. And he tried to talk her out of meeting her mom, contacting her mom, because he said, you know, she was unstable and she was a liar and manipulative. And well, she'd been alive for a long time. Kinds of bad things. According to her mom, Dororos. Mm-hmm. Yep. But he did tell her that Tamar was living in Hawaii. Huh. And Fauna said at the time, or he didn't say she was living in Hawaii. He said she's in Hawaii. So Fauna later said that in her mind, she didn't think people lived in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. That they, Mm -hmm. you know, you just go there on vacation. Mm -hmm. So Fauna was dumb. Okay. So she just thought, oh, she's in Hawaii. She'll be back kind of thing. Everybody will. (laughs) (laughs) But on non in on certain parts of the season, there's no one in Hawaii at all. Ever. It's completely it's weird. Yep. So I mean, think about it in the sixties. No, a I'm, very exotic. I'm place not gonna give her a pass on that. That's just dumb. Well, exotic. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys. Um she's fifteen. She should know better. Well, finally she decided to Pick up the phone. I don't know how you did it in those days. You picked but it up. You, you said, <laughs> hello. It's like a run every day. It was a, it was a, it was a circle, Carrie. And you that put your finger like in the, in the number say. and you just, yeah. You remember. Yeah, but how do you dial somebody that you don't know their phone number? Um, operator. Operator. Can I have, operator. Uh, can I have a, an operator in Hawaii? Can I have Transylvania 65,000? <laughs> yeah. Can I have Hawaii 44444? So anyhow, she called information or whatever in Hawaii because this is what we did. Back in the olden days. 411. Yep. No, you would call... Zero. No, you'd, <laughs> you'd dial the area code. That? Oh, yeah. 555-1216, whatever the area code is. Uh, and then But then wasn't it 555? Wasn't it 555-1212 five, 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 one, two, one, two, or yes, something I, like that? Yes, I was saying before oh. you just shut me down. It said 1-1. One, <laughs> one. It was 555-1212. Five, 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 yeah. And then you'd say, can I get the number for so-and-so? And they look it up and give it to you. I don't. That doesn't exist anymore, does no, it? No, I don't think so. No, because you know people's numbers. Uh, no, that's you not don't one. automatically know everybody's number. Yeah, yeah, you do. What's Obama's number right now? Go. 916. <laughs> no, no, it's not. 555-5555. Anyway, she called information in Hawaii because she figured out how to do that and that's got her mom's number. That's a step in the right direction. And talk to her. Just a minute ago, she didn't know people lived in Hawaii. So yeah. now she knows. People live in Hawaii? What? I got a call. <laughs> I know how to do that. I'm smart. So in 1974, she actually went to Hawaii to meet her mother in person. Wow. How'd she get there? She drove. How, no, how'd she have the money to get a <laughs> yeah. airplane ticket? In 1974? Oh, 74. Yeah. Oh. Not bad. Yeah. So, so she was an adult woman. Yes. She was in her 20s. She so she never met any of the. She, the hotels, nope. She never met her grandfather. Mm-mm. So I am the night is completely full of shit. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. 100%. What'd you expect? I know, but. Well, she did talk to him. Yeah, well. Like on the phone? <laughs> That's the first 20 minutes. So. If you've seen one episode. So Tamar told her that her father sexually abused her when she was a child. And it resulted in a pregnancy when she was 12. And you're it. You probably have a hand coming out of your head, don't you? Yeah, Fauna was horrified because she thought she was the result of this incestuous relationship. But Tamar told her, no, this happened when she was 12. And she had an abortion that time. And that in 1949, when Tamar was 14, she accused her father. You know, she told her about the court case and all that kind of stuff. And then... um, But it turns out I was a huge liar, so nothing happened. Yep. And she said that she was sent to juvenile hall. When she got out, she was raped by an Italian man, but he was white. And that he was the father of Fauna. So it wasn't great that she was the product of a rape. So why did they well, what, say it was a uh, black father? Uh, I guess She said that. She, she told, told her parents that? that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Really? Why? She probably wanted just to stick it to him. Ah. Uh, mm. Like, that, I'm having a baby with a black guy. Knowing that it would bother them. Base. And... Tamar apparently also said in an interview or something that 
at that, you know, she was probably a little bit messed up because of her upbringing. Her parents didn't sound like the best parents in the world. No, they didn't. And she said she believed that black people were superior to white people. Wow. So that's, but that's better, right? Was she also named Patty Hearst? (laughs) No. So, um, so that was in the seventies that, um, Fauna found out all of that kind of stuff in, um, well, Fauna got pregnant when she was only 16 and had that baby. And she eventually had two daughters. She had a short marriage. One of her daughters is biracial. Mm. Her oldest daughter, the one that she had when she was 16, is biracial. and But then her younger daughter is not. So anyway, a, now we're going to go back to uh, George Hodel. Um, he returned to the United States from the Philippines in 1990. So he was gone for 40 years. Whether or not he went back and forth in that time is not really known. So he's 83 years old. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. It's insane. Yep. He uh, died in 1999 at Jesus. the age of 91 Jesus Christ. of heart failure. Yeah, so why do bad people live so long? They, they tend to. They just do. Yeah. yeah. Who thought Manson was going to live that long on death row? I know. Bullshit. Yeah. Ridiculous. Said Bunny lived too long, too. (laughs) And they killed him. I'm thinking of other people that shouldn't be living as long as they're living. Like Joseph Stalin. I don't know how long he lived. I'm not going to name names. Donald Trump. But people who know me might know who I'm thinking about. So George Hodel's son, Steve, Steve, was actually an LAPD homicide detective. Hmm. Is that Chris Pine? No. no. Oh. Chris Pine's character in the show is completely fictional. Yeah. <sighs> I don't care about it then. Wow. <laughs> Should have been Steve Hodel. That would have been cool. <laughs> no, because then it would be a completely different show, probably. But so anyway, Steve Hodel believes that his father did re-enter the United States during um, some of the time that he was living in the Philippines and that he committed more murders. Oh. Steve Hodel believes with 100% conviction that his father did kill the Black Dahlia. He also believes that she killed a, a he, she, he killed another woman in June 1949 named Louise Springer. And this was called the Green Twig Murder. Oh. And... Um, yeah, so... Well, that was before he was in the Philippines. Both of them were. Yes. So. Yeah, in June 1949, he moved to the Philippines in, like, March 1950. 1950 and also yes. Black Dahlia. So, uh, Steve Hodel began his uh, investigation when he found a photo album that was his dad's that had uh, some pictures of a dark-haired young woman who he believed was Elizabeth Short. Mm. And so this started his process... And he also thought that his father uh, committed, that his father was the lipstick killer in the late 40s in Chicago. Really? Yes. Good Lord. This is where he goes to traveling around, killing people. Yeah, I feel low foolish. He was mm-hmm. the smiley face killer. He was Charles Manson. He was also, the, ironically, the um, night stalker. He was the Zodiac killer. He was the Zodiac killer. The oh. Manila jigsaw murderer. Now you're just making sure. Of up. 1967. And the Zodiac Killer. Oh, mm. my mm. God. Mm. In the late 60s. Which, again, would mean he was... Came back. He'd fly back, go kill someone in Vallejo, uh, and then yeah. fly back to the Philippines. Yeah. That's just in case, Steve. But yeah. I know you got the books to sell, but and I guess, if you would have stuck to the Black Dahlia, some people might believe you, but then you did lose all credibility when you just throw... Yeah. Well, and I guess a lot of... There, there was a like a handwriting expert who compared George Hodel's handwriting to the letters and the code, you know, that the Zodiac killer had written. And he said he couldn't rule him out. That's meaningless. But he couldn't say with hundred percent certainty that, you know, that was it was his handwriting. And he's hired by either Steve Hodel or the publisher. I'm sure he was hired by Steve Hodel. Yeah. And um or yeah, you're you're right, his book publisher maybe, but but he and he would need more writing samples yeah. from George Hodel. But yeah. Steve probably didn't have any more. But so anyway, I think Steve Hodel has written like three books or something all about 
these things. His first other shit my dad did is the yeah. Well, his first book was called The Black Dahlia Avenger, and it was published in two thousand three. There, he does have some supporters in um, Los Angeles, who you know, like law enforcement, yeah, who agree that he presents a very compelling case. Well, again, that's a, it's a plausible case for Joe Hodel mm-hmm. being the Black Dahlia killer in nineteen forty seven. There was he was. A, I mean, that's that's easy. Yes. And so people think that there were powerful people in L.A. law enforcement who basically covered up for George Hodel. Yeah. Who, he, who probably went to his sexy S&M parties, <laughs> maybe had pictures or recordings of them. Yep, exactly. He was protected, would be the story, right? Again, that's, he's, yes. he's absolutely on the short list for the Black Dahlia yeah. murders yeah. For, so for Steve Hodel. To write that book, like he's some kind of, like he's, you know, he's the one who cracked the case is fairly ludicrous because yeah, it that's was ridiculous. cracked before he ever touched it. Yes. I mean, the, the, it's not like he was, well, but he, he didn't know about that stuff. He had to have known about that stuff. No, but he didn't do that, his research? No, he did, but a lot of that stuff didn't come out until it wasn't publicly known. Like the It was publicly announced. known that he was a, a, a prime suspect. I, I'm sure it was. Sure, it was the that talk George of the town. I mean, that, yeah, the... I, I don't know. I'd was have to it? Go back and I don't see. know if it I, was. I don't know if it was or not because, um, like, most of the evidence now is just gone. But he, remember, he's also a, a, a LAPD detective, so he would have had access even to yeah. things that were not public. He wasn't known. just his Records. son. Yeah, I don't know. Is that true? Just because you work there, you have access to everything. No, but there are ways. Hey, I'm Steve Hodel. <laughs> right? <Can> I- <laughs> no, not even that. Just there, there are ways to get access. You, you know, you give the records guy twenty bucks. I'm writing a book. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, but some of these, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but, but I, I, I will bet you money that the, 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 the well, um, newspaper uh, uh, reports mm-hmm. had the names of top suspects back then. I, that You're are, probably right. Or certainly knew them. And also, but like I said, that DA file um, wasn't uncovered until like 2004. And that was after yes. this book was published. I know. I know. But I'll bet you there were lots and lots of, there were other records in copious LAPD files that he would, because he was a cop back in his, as, you know, in the 80s. In the, uh, right? He, it's just, it's it's absurd for him to act like no one ever thought yes, he was exactly. the killer oh, and exactly. I'm the one who. I, I had no idea. I could have had no way of knowing that he suspected. I guess. Does he say that? not astute. It seems well, as though that's his know. attitude. He takes he yeah, he takes credit for for cracking the case. Basically. Yeah, that's ludicrous. Probably true. Yeah. It's like Ted Bundy's kid gun. Up, oh, I think I figured out those murders. I think it's Ted Bundy, guys. <laughs> it's my dad. I don't know if he has kids or not, but well, I think he does have kids. Yeah. I think he might have had a daughter or two. Ted Bundy? I think so. Mm. He was married. I blame Zac Efron. I don't think he had kids, but I don't know. I don't know. Enough I'm not positive, that. but I think maybe one. Maybe. Well, Elizabeth Short's relatives looked at the pictures that. Oh, he I've had. seen those pictures. I know what you're talking about. And now. they yeah, say it's, it's not, not her. her. It's clearly not her. Yeah, they don't believe it's her. But I mean, obviously, that's not the only evidence he has. I mean, yeah. he does. I have seen those pictures. They did yeah. facial recognition with those, and it's absolutely not her. Really? I, you well, can see it at a glance. Not at a glance. I mean, it's like vaguely looks like a brunette mm-hmm. white girl. Yeah. That's it. It's not her. Well, like I said, there were some people in the LAPD who agreed and thought that he had a compelling case. But then there were also people that said, if we took that evidence to the DA's office, they'd laugh at us. Yeah. And I don't think anybody... What does his son say his dad's motive would was or would have been? He was a sadist. He liked to kill. Oh, and... he just wanted to kill somebody. Wait, did yeah. he make, is he the one who made the argument that it was a botched abortion? I don't think so, but okay. I, don't, I don't know. I didn't read his book or anything like that, but... Okay. And then, you know, he basically accused him of all these other murders. Yeah. So basically, he just believes his father was a serial killer. Because he had more books to write. Yeah. Probably. The sales were dipping, so. No, he had one. <laughs> He's going, shit, what am I going to do next? <laughs> well. My dad really was the Black Dahlia. No, it's not going to work. Hold on. I got, he's got to do other murders. Zodiac. Got it. Nailed it. Go. Apparently, several prominent law enforcement officials in Los Angeles did agree with him. The chief of detectives... Fad Brown said the Black Dahlia case was solved. He was a doctor who lived on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. Mm. William Parker, the chief of police, said we identified the Black Dahlia suspect. He is a doctor. I mean, that doesn't say it's solved, but uh, some sheriff guy said that 
it, it was solved, but you know, it's never going to come out. It was a doctor. They all knew in Hollywood involved in abortion. Sheriff Bob guy, by the way, she was being technical there. Sheriff guy, <laughs> James Downey, LA sheriff department under sheriff. And then that Lieutenant that I talked about earlier, who was building a case and was actually thought he had enough to charge him. Frank Jemison said, we know who the Black Dahlia was. He was a doctor, but we didn't have enough to put him away. And all these statements were made well before Steve Hoda wrote his book. No, the, uh, no, I think these were after. Parker was dead, I'm oh, sure. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh. I, I will bet you those were mostly before he wrote the book. Jemison, I'm sure, was long gone, too. Carrie, he was an active detective in 1947. He's not going to say this in 2004. <laughs> you I think all right. those things were before he wrote the book. Okay. So anyway, so there were plenty of people who, like you said, thought thought it was him. And there was a, a letter found in July 2018. So very recently, it was found by a woman in Indianapolis, Indiana, when she was going through her dead mother's belongings. And she discovered a dying declaration letter written by her grandfather 70 years earlier in October 1949. His name was W. Glenn Martin, and he lived in Los Angeles. And apparently he was a like an informant, like a paid informant. A CI. Mm -hmm. He said in this letter that he worked for a Sergeant McCauley, who was LAPD Internal Affairs, and that he was working for him to try to help him identify and arrest corrupt police officers uh -huh. who were involved in committing crimes. So he identifies himself as a personal acquaintance of somebody named G.H. Now, uh. I'm not calling this letter or this woman a liar or anything like that because obviously these letters have been published. That's and, a preface you know, like, I'm not... I'm, they're in Steve Hodel. Don't be offended, but... I'm <laughs> well, not trying to be offensive. But you, if it's his dying declaration, why wouldn't he spell out the person's that's name? That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Why would you say G-H? Mm -hmm. He was afraid, but... So he said that he personally knew G-H and Sergeant McCauley, and he named him as the killer of Elizabeth Short and Louis Springer, the green twig mm. murder victim. She had been murdered just two blocks from where Elizabeth Short was found, but two years later. So he said that the LAPD knew that GH knew Louis Springer and that they had, I don't know if they arrested him, but they brought him in for questioning mm -hmm. about that murder too. And that he also said in the letter that... GH was known and protected by law enforcement officers. All those things make sense, and it would also explain why he then left for the Philippines in 1950. It's, mm -hmm. Things are getting hot. But anyone who wanted to forge such a letter would have known all those things very easily yes. when this letter was done. Well, they would have known that he was connected to the Sergeant Macaulay. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, you know your granddad was connected to Sergeant McCauley, right? He told war stories from his days in the in the CI world, maybe. I don't I'm know. Not, I'm throwing it out there. I have no idea. And <laughs> maybe, so, maybe not. You know, I mean, yeah, no, it could be true. But like you said, what year is this? The, where she found the letter? Yeah, 2018. Yeah, so what? that's what? just the fact. Again, like you said, you, you don't. You're not going to say GH. GH. That just makes no sense. Well, the letter was found in 2018. He wrote it. I know. In 1949. Oh, yeah. yeah, when he was dying. In the middle of. No, not when oh. he was dying. You said it was his dying, yeah, he declaration. Said his dying declaration. Okay. Well, he wrote that because he had two daughters uh -huh. and he was afraid that something would happen to one of his daughters. Oh. And so he wrote this letter. Uh-huh. He called it his dying declaration, but he wrote the letter and on the envelope there were instructions that it was only to be opened in case any harm came to one of his daughters. Okay. Mm. That's a hugely different than his dying declaration. Well, that that's what it. I know, but that that indicates he's, he's on like, his quote, dying declaration. Yeah, that's what and I you thought. You said no one was going to write no, that. No, yeah, as you're a right. That is confusing. That's hugely different too. And yes, some now in that case, yes, he could have written GH. It's at least more plausible that he writes DH in, in 1949, well before he's dead. I still think he would write the whole name. I know, but if you're writing more plausible it, yeah, because you you want it to come out, you'd still I I'd spell still out the whole name. You would, you would. But anyway, but you, you know, who knows. But he, he was really worried that some harm was going to come to one of his daughters mm -hmm. because he knew this information. And 
but nothing happened yeah, <laughs> to yeah. either of his daughters. Yeah. And so... Because uh, he was in the Philippines. Although he was flying back to commit the occasional serial killing. Yeah, so. he was coming well, back to be the Zodiac killer. And the other thing was in the TV show, they have him following Fauna around. Yeah, I was going to say the previews. I haven't watched even the first episode, but like the previews and commercials yeah, of it look yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. like, obviously... It's fictionalized. It looks very fictionalized, fictionalized, and it looks like they're like following Fauna around, and yeah. she's being like yes. followed by mobsters. Well, like, like I said, still been, it, it takes place in 1965, and he's in L.A. Yeah, he being mm-hmm. George Hodel. Yeah, yeah. So could he have come back from the Philippines? Sure, yes, but sure. would he come back Why? and then go to Reno and or Sparks and it, ridiculous. look for his yeah. adopted grandmother? I don't think the movie is saying that that's true. It, it says inspired from a true story, which well, means this is bullshit. We've, we've taken the premise from the... They're taking the interesting story yeah. and running with the it. The tidbits. Well, here's what Fauna says about that. Her mother did tell her that there was a man posing as a chauffeur who would occasionally come and look for Fauna. But mm. she didn't claim that that was George Hodel. So it could mm. he could have hired somebody yeah. to do this. That's true. Why? I don't know. Well, because it's his granddaughter. Uh, and he cares about his I don't know. progeny? Not likely. Maybe. One thing I read said because he, he would be concerned about her whereabouts because she was possibly proof of an incestuous relationship with uh, his daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't know in those days that you would be that worried about that because there would be no DNA. No DNA you know, it would, yeah, it could never yeah. be proven. Fauna says <laughs> that later, Assuming. because... This is when she's a grown adult. She claimed that there were some men following her around somewhere. This was, after, you know, she was married, so it was probably in the 70s or maybe even later than that. I don't know. Only later did she realize, oh, that man was George Hodel. Hmm. She didn't know at the time. So Fauna thinks George Hodel was following her in the 70s? Well, back. at one point he did okay. because he talked to her. Mm. I don't remember what they talked about. So is Fauna still alive? Fauna sadly died in 2017 of breast cancer. Spoiler alert. She was 66. I was going to say, yeah, if she's born, you know, 51 or whatever. And just real quick. Yeah, she she should be long dead. No, I was saying (laughs) she could still be kicking. Okay. (laughs) I thought you were saying she's so old, she should be dead. No. They did uh, produce another movie in 1991. I forget the name of it, but it starred Alfre Woodard and um, Tess Harper was in it. Some pretty big, and, big names. Decent um, names. No, who was so another? Who was the other person that was in it? Vincent Price, I believe. I, I, was, Vincent uh, Price. I keep reading it and then it just goes oh, Zach straight out of my mind. But Alfre Woodard played her mother in the movie. And it was, you know, a fairly large budget movie, I guess, $7.5 million. And it's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Change. Yeah. And she said uh, they had two days of filming left to do and then editing and the production got shut down and hmm. the even the most of the film footage got taken away. And she, I've seen interviews with her and, and she wasn't real clear on that she knew with 100% certainty what happened, but George Hodel said, shut it down. That George Hodel had something to do with it. Probably. And she said they, they, weird otherwise. They fictionalized it. They changed the names and, but still, yeah, you know, it didn't have to be even George Hodel, Mm -hmm. even fictionalized. There's some people who may have been involved with Hodel who just didn't want that shit raked up and start the LA times looking at it. Yeah. Especially because there were Hollywood people. Yeah. Involved in yeah, exactly. George Hodel's and, and it was because it was almost certainly Hollywood people, obviously Hollywood people, someone in the studio who would have had the authority to shut that down, mm-hmm. or at the order of someone very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yep. So who was involved with those sexy parties? Sexy parties. Mm-hmm. But S&M. you can go online and see interviews with Fauna, and you know she has some little short documentary that does have some scenes from the movie, but she doesn't have all the footage. Mm. But she has some of it, and I think you know she's written books and I would stuff if like I was that. her shit. Yeah. I'll say this: having seen one episode, the I Am the Night Show, it, it was good. It was. It was. I like Chris good. Pine. It was compelling television. I like Chris Pine. Yeah, it was good. You know, I don't love Chris Pine in it. I like Chris Pine. I like Chris Pine. He looks like well, that. He's, not, he's a very gray area character. He's not yeah. a lovable character. No, but he's I mean... He's not terrible, but he's, you know... Yeah. Fauna's two daughters... Character uh, arc, Carrie. He has to have room to grow. I know. But Fauna's two daughters are doing a podcast oh. about their... What are their names? Sorted family history. I knew you were going to ask me that. And, <laughs> you should have um, learned the names then. <laughs> and, and oh, about shit. the show. It's like a companion to the In the Night 
I know Emma's going to ask me, but I'm not going to give a shit. I refuse to learn. I'm not going to look it up. The first episode debuted on February 13th. Of the podcast? Of the podcast, and it's called Root of Evil. It's an eight-part podcast. So you don't know their names. You're just going to leave me hanging. We'll give it a listen. The the oldest daughter is Yvette. Oh, my gosh. She did know the names. (laughs) So why'd you deny knowing the names? (laughs) You're all over the board here, Carrie. Because I don't know the, the younger daughter's name. Just but I'm gonna look it up because I I subscribe to the podcast. So we should just, we should just fill time here. So what so, you been up to? Uh, talk, nothing. Talk amongst yourself. I want another. This you're not getting one. Is there more? No. You have to go to a birthday dinner. If you're it doesn't matter. Dinner. I can be drunk. Can't drunk. <laughs> what you been doing with your parents? Ah, oh, drinking. Oh my God! They don't list their names. Don't worry about it, Karen. Let it go. Karen. I don't really care. Rasha. Rasha. That's why she Rasha Pecoraro. And the first okay. one was what one? Well, Yvette Gentile. Yvette and Rasha. Clearly yep. aliases. Mm-hmm. And one of the, they have like a, they call it a sneak peek. I don't know why, but it's a really short episode. It's five minutes long. And it's Steve Hodel talking about the Black Dahlia. So how mm. many other people did your dad kill? Have you thought of any others? A lot. <laughs> I think he was the East Side Strangler. Uh, uh, so I, I think he was the bear. BTK. He was... Uh, oh, BTK. He, he was, was dead after that. Yeah. That's, no, he, he came back from the, the grave. He was he Son of thing. Sam. He so was, anyway, that's probably a good podcast. Yeah. I'm going to listen bet. to it. Well, thanks, Carrie, for thanks, your story of bear. the evil George Hodel. Yeah. George A. Romero. And, no. And his uh, <laughs> black dahlia. And I'll post pictures with him. He has a creepy mustache. Well, yeah. I mean, it was the 30s. Is there another kind of mustache? No. Yeah, there's a, a porn, porn mustache. mustache. There's a, a creepy mustache. There's a cop mustache. If it I would connects argue to the porn a beard, it's not creepy. Eh, it can still be pretty creepy. There's a big old bushy 70s mustache. Yeah. Oh, there's the super villain with the curled up mm-hmm. mustache. Handlebar mustache. Yeah, 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 which yeah, is yeah. now a um, For, hipster uh, Hipster douchebags, yes. So, um, there's Car- also a Hitler mustache. Yes. No, you rarely see that anymore, yeah, though. Rarely that's a bad see one. that. Yep, yep. That Else. kind of went out of fashion. Outside of, like, you know, <laughs> the Proud Boys. You rarely see that. <laughs> so, Carrie, tell them where they can find us. Weirdwood Podcast. At gmail.com weird, 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 is weird. where you can email me. Weird World Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> Emma's and making Patreon. fun of her mother in real time. Weird World Podcast. Pod on Twitter. You can tweet at Dean if you want to there. Tweet at me, babe. I don't know. That sounded weird. That did sound weird. And that's it. Don't okay. call our listeners babe. That's weird. I, I won't anymore. That is weird. But I will say. Love you. Love you. Bye now. And See you next I time. And I will say thank you for listening to Bye. Me too. Bye. Love you. Peace out.